Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, take me back to Tulsa. I need a man with a slow hand and too many Johns. Give an exhibition, find out what it is on After midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a 1971 album by J.J. Kale, Naturally. And as you can tell from my voice, I am your host tonight, Tony Slagle. And I am joined, as always, by... Our usual host, Doug Cooper. Naturally. <laughs> and our very, very humble producer, Jonathan Jamra. Good evening, Tapsters. So, as I mentioned, we're talking about J.J. Kale's debut album tonight. Uh, this is, of course, a Doug pick for very, very many reasons. The, <laughs> very the obvious reasons. It came out. Yeah. It's a fairly uh, ba- blues-based album. It's got a connection to all these players he likes. I'm kind of given the reason why you picked it. But, Doug, I'll ask you, why did you pick this album? Well, it's actually none of those reasons at all, Tony. Um, <laughs> okay, good. Th- I think this is the first time anyone's picked an album uh, for this reason. And it's it's pure compassion. Um, I've been criticized by many people in our audience for being too compassionate. <laughs> but the... Uh, I picked this album because this guy is from Oklahoma, and uh, I've been feeling really bad for people from Oklahoma geez. lately. Uh, as, as some of y'all may know, Oklahoma <laughs> was defeated by the University of Texas Not at Austin by up. 49 to 0. Is no, that correct, Jim? That's correct, yes. I, I, I did not memorize the score. Yeah. I just, it seems, J.J. J. Kale was actually... Born in Oklahoma City, which is a suburb of Norman, yep. and uh, <laughs> not far from Dallas in the Cotton yep. Bowl, where yep. they lost 49 to zero. 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 That's shut out. Yep. So, um, and I don't want to keep pushing any further talking about 49 to zero tonight. In fact, I hope I don't say 49 to zero another time. <laughs> In addition to my compassion for the uh, Oklahoma tone, uh, Oklahomatans, uh, Oklahomans, Oklahomans, I've mentioned that I had an uncle that would give me records. He gave me Elton John's Greatest Hits Volume One, 
which got me into Elton John as a young man. He gave me America's Greatest Hits, which got, which got me into two of America's songs. <laughs> and it's I have not I've maintained my uh, affection for Elton John much more. And maybe a year or two later, he gave me this album when I was still pretty young. I think this is a weird album to give a young guy. It is, yeah. But it got into me early, and this well, man, uh, obviously your uncle knew something. About he did. That. He did. Yeah. This album it lives in a place where there are no substitutes for it. If I'm in the mood for this album, I don't have a backup for <laughs> this album, uh, and i I think it's I think it's pretty unusual music. We're going to talk a lot about the Tulsa sound, and JJ mm-hmm. uh, Kale's one of the progenitors yeah, the, yeah one of the big shots of tulsa sound yeah. and i learned something fascinating about the tulsa sound as i researched it i learned that i thought i knew what the tulsa sound was and i learned that i didn't know what the tulsa sound <laughs> well, was and i learned that a lot of other people are like me in that they may be considered Big heroes of the Tulsa sound, and they can't tell you what it is. That's where I okay. am now. Okay, Doug. Um, yes, sir. I think I think since you've talked about it, why don't we talk about the Tulsa sound? Because I, I think it's I think we can do that before we dive into other stuff. And since I'm the host, I'm gonna I'm gonna direct us that way. This is just um, what happens if we give him a little. <laughs> uh, I, I have a question for you guys about it, though. B- based on what you said, is there? actually a Tulsa sound or was this some sort of fabric and, and I don't mean this in a bad way just because this is what people do they compartmentalize stuff we talk about that all the time was this a way for the music industry critics or whoever to com- compartmentalize a, a, a group of musicians from a certain part of the world I'll go can I go first yeah sure all right you may I think be they're... first and last because I don't know what the hell I'm gonna say <laughs> Um, when I think of the Tulsa sound, I always think of very clean guitars, stuff being very sparse, uh, the music being very sparse, and usually nothing much more than just a like a piano, electric guitar, bass, and drums. And then somebody just singing in this conic, almost slurring way. And it's kind of odd, you know, one of the biggest people to come out of that Tulsa sound was, of all people, David Gates of Bread. If a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I paint you? The words will never show the you I've come to know. If a face could well, they say that David Gates is from Tulsa, but they don't consider him part of the sound. Yeah. Except on some of his albums that no one's ever heard. Yeah. There is that with him. There, I do hear kind of that sparse sparse playing. I mean, even though there's strings and stuff and it's all mushy. and But this, it's still that laid back. Everything, I, when I think of that Tulsa sound, I just think laid back. And I know like, you can't really say that about Leon Russell because he's, I guess he's probably identified with that sound. Delaney and Bonnie, I'm not sure. But that's the thing. I don't, when I hear the Tulsa, I don't think, when I think the Tulsa sound, I don't think Delaney and Bonnie. I don't think Leon Russell. We got to get ourselves together. Take some time and talk it over. 
I think and Leon more. Russell's the godfather of Yeah, I know. So, well, I mean, Delaney and Bonnie aren't from Tulsa, are they? No, but they get they get lumped, lumped into, into this it. sound. Yeah. So, so, I, I, so I realized my, my question was a little strange in the sense that I talked about, is it a way to compartmentalize? Of course, anytime you say a blank, blank sound is a way to do that. But what I, oh, yeah. what I meant by that was, is there a unifying, sort of a unifying chord, if you will, throughout that sound? Or is it just people said, oh, it's a Tulsa sound? Because I was, I was intrigued by what you said about it's like people don't know what it is. And I I also was trying to figure out what it is. I, I get what JM's saying, the whole laid back thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if that just mostly applies to J.J. Kale or if that applies to multiple people. I think it could almost be Clapton in his early days. Not, not... No, it was Clapton after he started stealing everybody to play on his record. Right. After, I mean, after in his, in his early, the early part of his career when he wasn't, after his solo career, when he got out of cream and and all that and all that i yeah it was i i think of slow hand that album yeah that was my classic identification with tulsa sound was eric clapton soul hand slow hand with Lay Down Sally, <laughs> songs like that. Yeah. But I listened to Ann Bell, Jimmy Markham, <laughs> Bobby Keys, Jeff Carlson, yep. Gus Harden, and Flash Terry. I listened to all those people, yeah. and I couldn't find anything to string all those people together, and all those people are on the list of Tulsa Sound people. Yeah. So I think Tulsa Sound is a little bit like the Austin Sound, which is... Something that's played in Austin. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good. I mean, way if, to tell it, me, yeah. tell me what the Austin sound is. Oh, Stevie Ray style blues. Well, not really. No. If I go down Sixth Street right Spoon. now, I'm not going to hear anybody else. Is it Spoon? Yeah. No. No. Is it Willie Nelson? No. Maybe Once Upon a Time in the seventies. Yeah. So I'd have remorse. Yeah, I don't. Jerry I, Jeff. Yeah. You know, I'm not real fond of all these labels anyway. So. I, know, I know, I know. But but you brought it up, and I thought it was worth talking well, about. It's my just fault because... we're talking about it. I agree. But it's... I wanted to get that off my chest because one of the things that we do when we cover these albums is we go and research the daylights out of an album we already thought we knew a lot about yeah. and then realize we didn't know anything at all. And that's what <laughs> happened to me. Uh, on this well, particular album, if you look at some of the people that are playing on it, they aren't necessarily... Well, some of them, are, there's some that are very much identified with the Tulsa sound, Delaney and Bonnie and all that, but then there's some that are not, and they're much more of what I would call the John Denver camp of musicians, which is very surprising. You, they must have been having the time of their, life, their lives on this album, having to get away from that dreck. But well, we're also now. talking about an album that didn't have very much money. Yeah, it's a fast. Yeah. The, the making of this album is pretty fascinating, but we'll get to that. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that just because I, I was trying. To, I've been trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, just for full disclosure, I'd never heard this album before you picked it, Doug. You gave me the CD. Um, obviously, I knew After Midnight, but not this version of it. Uh, you two have lived with this album a heck of a lot longer than I have. So I'm going to be relying on you guys to kind of guide us through this tonight. But um, I, yeah, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I was not, I was a little I was kind of excited though. studying the Tulsa sound because I thought I was going to find a whole bunch of guys that sounded like J.J. Kale. Yeah. <laughs> and I found yeah. none. It, 
The closest well, thing to sounding like JJ Kale is Mark Knopfler. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, let's 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 talk about that just briefly. Is there really anybody outside of the people who he's influenced? He's influenced a heck of a lot of people. I mean, obviously, you brought up that Slowhand album, that Clapton album, and and JM, you brought up Mark Knopfler, who it was so funny before I ever read that Mark Knopfler loved JJ Kale. I was listening to this going. God, guys, this reminds me of Mark Knopfler. Kale's really um, ripping off Mark Knopfler. <laughs> no, this is the first thing that first time I heard John Kale, I went, oh my God, he's totally ripping off Mark Knopfler. <laughs> <laughs> I think JJ Kale had a uh, a chip on his shoulder about Mark Knopfler for a while, yeah. at least. I think they became anyway, friends, but anyway. Yeah. So I, I just want to circle back around and ask, really, and this sounds, sounds like an odd question, but I really want to ask this. Is there anybody else that sounds like this guy, and particularly on this album? Because we're talking about a guy who sounds, at times, like he's just about to nod off while he's singing. <laughs> um, and that's... And when we get to the songs, we'll talk about why that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it is an interesting kind of. I mean, th- this this is such a laid back, yeah, mellow. It's uh, it's uh, it reminds I, me of. It gives me something similar to the feeling that cool jazz gives me. <laughs> uh, understated, yeah, uh, modal, and you know we've talked about what I hate in a guitar player. Something that cracked me up is I was listening to an interview of him and he talked about, or I was reading something about him. He said, you know, I just spent like three months doing nothing but sitting on the couch listening to Van Halen albums. And I thought, that's hilarious. (laughs) This is exactly the opposite of Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) Well, his his influence, I think, is it really hits this. It, he opened up a bunch of people to realize you didn't have to be at a time when rock and right. roll was kind of heading towards this really histrionic theatrical guitar playing. He opened up a door to a lot of people to say, hey, I can still be compelling and not, you know, yeah. burn my fingers off playing the guitar. And, and it's the most telling with Clapton because. Yeah. It's fascinating to me, and I, you, know, you guys know, we've talked about Clapton when we talked about Derek and Domino's, my feelings about him, but it, this was fascinating thinking about him in terms of the impact this had on his his playing and the way he approached music after this. It, it was fascinating to me. One of the things, he's, he's kind of a technician, and it doesn't really come out in, in, his, in his playing necessarily. Are you talking about Kale? Yeah, because it's just so smooth. But one of the things that he did, which was really unusual at the time, was he would plug right into the console, the mixing, the uh, recording console. He wouldn't use an amp. Well, now he that didn't always happen, but he didn't use an amp. And uh, Tony, you sent me uh, some information about his his guitar. It's a f- pretty fascinating thing. He was a guitar tech before. He was a musician. The guitar that he had was a uh, was it a silver tone? No, no, no. It was, uh, a, it was a, a harmony, a harmony. Yeah. yeah and and so, if you don't anybody that's it's a, a guitar player, harmonies were not known as the the high end of guitars. When I was, I think my first guitar, electric guitar, was a harmony. I got it out of the Sears and Roebuck catalog for Christmas, you know, the Christmas catalog. 
And it's a... They, Some of our young listeners will need to go look up. <laughs> the series, yeah. Before there was Amazon, uh, you had to, you had to circle what you wanted for Christmas. And the catalog came out in September. And you, and had you to, just stared at the thing you wanted yeah, until and, between September and Christmas, dying yeah, for it. Yeah, you just kept it under your pillow and would look at it. Oh, please, hope I get this. Well, anyway, I got, I got my uh, silver tone, or my uh, Harmony electric guitar. But there was... Harmony, Dan Electro, and Silvertone. Silvertone was the the original make from Sears and Roebuck. Sears and Roebuck sold, I, I think I'm getting this right, they sold Silvertone to Dan Electro. And so Dan Electro kind of took over uh, the manufacture of these things. So what J.J. Kale actually plays on a lot of these albums is a Harmony uh, H162, which is an old, old, old guitar. He took the back of it off he put a he kind of reinforced it with with some rods and stuff he started just switching around pickups and he put pickups in in unusual places he used different pickups in in different places so his guitars would always just kind of sound really or his guitar would always sound really unique but one of the things that this gave him the ability to do was to plug directly into a, uh, a recording console so he didn't have to necessarily use an amp which really gives it a, a very very clean sound there's like no that means that there's not no external sounds effects. coming in yeah nothing else yeah there's no external effects nothing else there's no ambience in the you know there's no reverb there's it's just it's straight unless you add it later but um yeah and no uh, We'll talk about this more later, but he was a uh, he was an engineer, uh, right? In yeah. addition to a musician, so well, that was, that was his... he. He thinks that's part of making music is uh, fiddling around with that. In fact, he got into all the synthesizers and all that stuff just later, in yeah. time for a grunge and unplugged albums to become <laughs> the rage. <laughs> well, that. Uh, that that takes takes us a bit to the, his his early history because that was his first love actually. Doug was the electronics thing. He that's where he studied that in high school actually. Principles of sound engineering. When he went to Tulsa Central High School, and you know I I, I think he even built a studio in his parents' house. He, he did yes. School. And so then anyway, when he went into the uh, Air Force, he took all the electronic training right. things he could he could get. So. Yeah, he's a he's a electronic uh, engineer nerd, and it, it fits his personality too because he was even though he's got a lot of technical prowess on the on the instrument, he's by all accounts was very very shy and kind of intimidated guy early on, and it took it's it's funny when you read his history how many people really helped him along and it's it's fascinating with the amount of experience and the things that it's it's almost like you read these stories about people who are just on the edge of success he seemed before this album came out he seemed like he was just on the edge of success multiple times (laughs) right never able to go over that that go over to the other side but there were a lot of people who thought the world of him and really helped him out along the way as you know as he was doing this stuff so speaking of people That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's a time to interrupt our program for a quick game of connections. And we have more than a few here. Who would like to go first? 
I'll go first just because I don't know a whole lot about a lot of these guys. I'll get, I'll pick an easy one if I can, if that is okay. Sure. Okay. Hold on. I'm trying to find my, my notes. All right. How about uh, Tim Drummond? Tim yeah. Drummond, the bass player play, on this album. He plays, yes. he plays the bass on this album. And he also played bass on Will and Alan Ramsey's album, which we talked about in our Texas podcast. That's and right. he also played Willis, on Neil Willis Young's. Uh, he also played on uh, Harvest Moon. Our number one downloaded album. Yep. Did he really? I did yeah. not know that. Well, how did Willis Allen Ramsey and J.J. <laughs> Kale end up with that bass player? Well, uh, another connection, I'm a connection I'm of a connection. I'm assuming it's because Willis Allen Ramsey recorded with Leon Russell and uh, Leon Russell and uh, J.J. Kale were. Uh, they work together lots. Let's just put it that way. And Is that they, what you're asking? Where was Leon Russell from? Oh, he was from Tulsa. Tulsa. All right, another oh. Tulsa boy. Jam. Yeah, we talked. No, I was just gonna say we talked about in our in, in the, on that podcast that Willis Allen Ramsey showed up at Leon Russell's hotel room and played some songs for him. You need to record me. <laughs> that was a good one. What about you, Jam? You got us one. Well, yeah. Um, talking about the Tulsa sound, we got. Uh, Carl Rattle, who we've talked about before, uh, especially with uh, Derek and the Domino. He has played with uh, several albums that we've talked about before. He was kind of the go-to bass player. Was he on uh, All Things Must Pass? Yeah, he was on All Things Must Pass. He was, but uh, we haven't talked about that one yet. But yeah, Derek and the Dominoes is probably what he's most famous for. Joe Cocker, uh, Leon Russell. Britney Spears. (laughs) Oh, wait. (laughs) No, didn't do that one. Yeah, he was a very sought-after bass player at the time. (laughs) Can we talk about Clapton? (laughs) (laughs) Well... These, uh, th- this gentleman and Eric Clapton did collaborate later. Yep. And, and some of y'all who don't know, Eric Clapton was in Derek and the Dominoes, mm-hmm. which we talked about, one of our earliest albums. Yep. Well, the, the connection here outside of that is the fact that Clapton on his debut album uh, recorded a J.J. Kale song after midnight, which became a hit. Yep. And then J.J. Kale put it on the album we're talking about tonight. Well, that's right. That's it. That is a connection, Tony. Kind of, you, you are correct. <laughs> yeah. And it also, J.J. Uh, Kale says that's the song that uh, made him have a comfortable life. Yeah. He said that uh, it kept showing up in beer commercials. I think two beer companies <laughs> two made beer. commercials <laughs> I, out of that. And, I think uh, I... Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I don't think it's an understatement to say, had it not been for Clapton having a hit with that song, we would not be talking about this album tonight. Well, and he had another hit. Another J.J. Kale hit. Well, he had several. My, my, my point being that I think that, that the fact that he was getting royalty checks from Eric Clapton's version of, of um, After Midnight made him realize that, hey, I could get in. I can horn in on this well, a little bit. It made someone decide they wanted to record him while he was hot. And that made this album come out. He, he is very happy about that. Of course, a lot of these songs on this album have been covered yeah, there, there's no shortage of people who covered J.J. Kale songs. <laughs> yeah, like it, Leonard Skinner, Dr. John, uh, Kansas, 
<laughs> that cracks Kansas, me up. I didn't know I about didn't that know one. About that Kansas, needs to be on the website. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, there's. Well, of course, it's are, close are to guys, Oklahoma. Oh, and uh, Don Williams did Tulsa time, living on Tulsa time. Well, that's not JJ Kale song. Uh, oh, it's not. No, uh, sounds like one. It does, doesn't it? Are Are you guys? Are you guys? perplexed by that i mean i i it's 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 fascinating that this guy who is as unassuming as uh, any rock star if you want to call him that could be and his music is so unassuming as well that he would be so vastly influential and have so many people cover his songs i I don't think I, i think you you listen to his music and there's an element that's immediately accessible to yeah. these songs even though they fit into genres that like call me call me the breeze is the kind of song that most people wouldn't listen to and then but Leonard Skinner hears that and they know exactly what to do with it to make yeah. it into a pop tune And it, it works. There's a lot of emphasis on the blues in his music, but there is a lot of things that are not bluesy about it. It's not right. as repetitive. The di- difference between one song on the track and another song on the track, big. Uh, like yeah. Magnolia compared to Call Me the Breeze, that's a big. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. Right. Right. We're talking about something that's not just blues, not just folk blues. It's something else, and. I'm, I I don't know what to call it, but it is outside of that of just that, and I think that makes a lot of these songs attractive for covers, especially since he's done a minimalist job with it, mm-hmm. and it leaves you a lot of room to do something new. Yeah, yeah, that is true as as a cover as somebody covering the songs, but but there's also this aspect of him as a player that uh, people are fascinated by people who are quote unquote great guitarists in yeah. terms of the world's the world, the eyes of the public look at this guy as being a great guitarist and maybe one of the most influential maybe one of the top five most influential guitarists in rock it's a weird thing it is um, yeah and but he he's got a very unique style and it's it's especially when you <laughs> let's let's just say Mark Knopfler wasn't born uh, if you if you listen to his guitar style, there's nobody else that plays like him. I mean, I even if you listen to the albums that or the album that uh, Clapton and JJ Kale did together, it, it's pretty obvious who's playing what. And it, it's his style is just so understated, but it is he hits the right notes at exactly the right time. It's note choice. It's, That's yeah, note choice is it. it. He's he's the master of of note choice. And the, his tone is his great. T- his A lot of people amazing. have great tones, but the thing that I think makes him stand out is the selection and what he doesn't play. Yeah, it's what he doesn't play is like it, the the notes will come in. You're expecting to hear it if you listen to enough guitar solos. You start expecting to hear a note. With his playing, I never expect to hear the note that he's playing. You know, that's one of the things that, again, I keep talking about Mark Knopfler. It's another thing Mark Knopfler does really well. But his, the, it's not just the way, it, it, it's his tone, but the way that he just will 
barely play a note. Like he barely sings. Yeah, like he barely sings. I, yeah. I, I, I've been trying to figure something out. Uh, as much as Doug hates, you hate compartmentalizing stuff, I'm the exact opposite of that. And I try <laughs> to find find ways I can kind of make sense of the world I'm looking at. And I was trying to figure out how much of his ongoing style post this debut album was based on the reception it got because this album wasn't recorded by him with any sense that it was going to be a success. He's even said that he did it mainly so he could get the songs out there for people to, to, to copy and make money. (laughs) Right. So, but, but people fell in love with this album and I wonder how much of that influenced him to say, well, if they like this, I might as well just keep going with it or how much of it was actually stemming from him. Because if you listen to some of his earlier stuff and the things he was doing, um, you know, he was in bands that were heavily influenced by rockabilly and Elvis. He was dabbled in psychedelia a bit with with different people. Um, And he was in a Western swing band. Yeah. Which makes so, us experts. <laughs> well, and, and even on this album, it's uh, I, 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 there's a kind of a common theme running through it in terms of, you know, the blues and the, and the mellowness of it. But it's also there's very there's a whole bunch of different styles. Of it's music variety. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I just wonder how much of that was influenced by the reception he got on this album, because he has said he said publicly he didn't like this album that much. Uh, but other people did, so he went with it, you know? Well, one of the reasons it went in a different direction than he was expecting it to go play. Well, yeah, well, and I've got to say whiskey a go-go. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> well, we're back at the back whiskey, whiskey a go-go. A go-go. Yeah. And JM, by the way, uh, why is he called JJ? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, a connection that connection, I missed. Connection. Yeah, he was, uh, there was the, his was it his manager thought that there was, or producer? Well, no, the, guy was that, the guy that was running guy, the Whiskey A Go-Go. Yeah, Whiskey A Go-Go. Yeah, El- Elmer Valentine. Yes, the thought that ran. there was, uh, there's they would he'd be confused with John Kale of the uh, Velvet Underground, but his name was, is John Kale. But well, they, he, they say you're JJ now. <laughs> he, was go, he was he was going by Johnny Kale, mm-hmm. and I, it was a combination of the John Kale Velvet Underground thing, as well as uh, this guy had um, Elmer Valentine had had Johnny Rivers playing at the whiskey at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like, I don't need people. I don't. There's too many of too you many out Johnnies, there. too yeah. many Johns, Johnnies, whatever. We're just gonna call you JJ, and he's and he went with it. <laughs> And it worked out. It worked out. It's it, it's funny how many ex ex Tulsa you know Tulsa expats were in L.A. at the time. I, did everyone follow Leon Russell out there? They did. That's they exactly did. what yeah. happened. He yeah. even he even set up a deal where they all could live uh, by each other. It was <laughs> um, studying uh, J.J. Kale made me more impressed with uh, Leon Russell and his influence than anything else we've done. Yeah. It was a big uh, deal where they. He took all that Tulsa, all those Tulsa guys out there, and a couple of them ended up getting hooked up with the uh, Wrecking Crew. The rest is history. It, it's all—it's fascinating that the two of them, JJ Kill and Leon Russell, they have a similar uh, history in the sense that they're they're on a lot of stuff without actually getting credit for being on a lot of stuff. It's early yeah. on when they were all intermixing in this stuff that J, when JJ Kale, I guess because they were both production guys sort of working behind right. the scenes, yeah. and they would come in and do things to help the sound of whatever they were engineering or producing. But it is funny how, how many things when you're, I, I'm going to give a shout out real quick to this website I found. And I found it, uh, unfortunately, 
way too late into my research. I wish I'd found it earlier, but there's a Facebook page called JJ Deep Dive, JJ Kill Deep Dive. Really? And this this guy has done unbelievable amounts of research on JJ Kale. And um and it was fascinating to read this stuff, but he he this guy's trying to trace back all the things that JJ Kale put his fingers on when he was in LA in the 60s working on the production stuff. And even this guy says it's difficult to do. He's had to go back and read interviews with people and they're and they're some of them will will discount what other one says and yeah. he's just trying to piece it together. But yeah, Leon Russell and JJ Kale were all over the stuff they were dealing with production wise yeah. without getting any credit for it. Well, there, and there's a documentary, uh, another one, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm doing my research. I found it. There, there's a documentary called Tulsa and back. Uh, it was oh, released yeah. in 2005. I, I really want to see that. It, there really isn't a Tulsa sound. Just, there was so much going on there. It's kind of like, there's no Athens sound. You know, the B 52s came from Athens. The REM came oh. from Athens. Pylon came from Athens. Those guys sound very different. Yeah, it's like saying everybody who played at CBGB sounded the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that was yeah. the case, right? Is there a New York sound? No. Well, you know that that a- album uh, Avalon. <laughs> yes. You, yeah. Who was that guy singing on that one? Brian Ferry. Did you know he did a JJ Kale song? No. Which album? <laughs> blue Jeans and Moonbeams. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's uh, same old blues. Huh. I think he called it old blues. Okay. But it cracked me up. And the other one that cracked me up was uh, Captain Beefheart. <laughs> one of the few <laughs> covers Captain Beefheart ever did was a J.J. Kale tune. Yeah. On which album? I don't know. Um, Trout Master. No, it's not Trout Master. <laughs> but, um, the, uh, I, I want to say one other thing about his guitar playing. And you talked about that record he does with Eric Clapton. I, I don't think Eric Clapton is a phonetic, all-over-the-place guitar player. I think he, he keeps it in pretty well. Mm-hmm. But... When you put those two together, it reminds me of that joke about the two bulls on the hill uh, where the young bull says, look at those cows down there. Let's run down there. And Anyway, I can't go through the rest of the joke. I was hoping that you would know it. <laughs> but Eric Clapton sounds like the young bull in a hurry. And, yeah. Uh, JJ Kale's the the old bull that says, "Well, let's just walk down there." Well, and if you there's a there's videos of JJ Kale and Eric Clapton playing together and they're you know, Clapton's for J.J. Kale comes out there. He's just up there wailing, you know, walking around, playing, making all sorts of faces and stuff. And then when J.J. Kale comes out, they're both sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> just He's like the, in the rodeo where the horse goes and comes down the, mm-hmm. the bronc. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of the appeal of J.J. Kale and why these other guitar players are so drawn to him is that yeah. he has that guitar sound that's understated. Everything he does is understated, yeah. but absolutely on target. And he gets more done with fewer notes. And when he plays, it doesn't sound like it's for the audience. Yeah. It's yeah. like, I don't care. You yeah. listen around. Yeah. This is for me. Yeah. This is me doing my deal. Yeah. And there's some power in that. Really That's, is. It's, it, it's appealing. It is appealing. I, I agree with that. I, mean, I could just listen. I, I could just hear his guitar isolated the whole the, time. The, yeah. It's not a shock that this album would likely not be something that I would gravitate towards but but listening to it i was able to glom onto two different things when a song would be a little bit troubling for me and one was his guitar playing for the most part always compelling Mm -hmm. and oddly enough his vocals i also found them oddly compelling 
So, well, I don't know anyway. if there's anyone whose vocals and guitar go together as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. And anybody who heard this guy sing would go, what is he doing? Why does he think he's... A-? Yeah. And then you go, oh, wait, it's perfect. Yeah. It is perfect. So let's go... Right. Well, before let's, we go, can we talk just to, like, some of the stuff he was doing before this album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to get to that. I, I don't want to bore anybody with long-winded history, but there are a couple of moments that I think are worth mentioning. And Doug, uh, do you want to do you want to start things off? Or? Well, I don't think there's too much to say. I think the main thing is he's playing clubs in Tulsa under a bunch of different with a bunch of different bandmates, and he's having some success. And then Leon Russell goes out to. Uh, California and basically sucks everybody out of Tulsa out there. <laughs> and he gets out there and he, one of the things that I found very interesting is he was Bonnie and Delaney's or Delaney and Bonnie. He was their first guitar player. The guy that was interviewed uh, that I watched, he said that lasted about three hours. <laughs> and then uh, he got a gig uh, working as an engineer out there along with his music. And I already mentioned that he got a regular gig at a uh, whiskey, a go, go. He, he was struggling and before Clapton picked up his song, uh, he was he was talking about not being able to eat. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I I, I want to touch on a couple of things that I think are interesting. So he did have a, a recording. I don't want to call it a career, but he did record stuff while he was in Tulsa in the fifties. He was in three bands before he moved out to out to L.A. One of them was called Country Cousins, where he just played rhythm guitar, and it was kind of a Homer and Jethro type thing. The, the second band was a band called The Rockets, and that was a guy named, founded by a guy, a Tulsa guy named Gene Croce, or Croce, I don't know how you say his name, but he was a like a Tulsa guy. People loved him, and he had this mm-hmm. band called The Rockets, and he was paying attention to the Country Cousins, and and he had a, he had a gig playing on a Saturday afternoon sort of bandstand type show and his guitarist couldn't do it so he went to the country cousins and see if he could get their lead guitarist it was a guy named dean dobbins to step in for him but, but what the night before that show buddy holly had played in in tulsa and was booed off the stage because people hated what he was doing My he God. was a pop star playing at a i think mainly a country like a country uh, showcase with a bunch of different artists and so this, this Dobbins guy was like, I don't, I don't want to be, I think I'm done with this. Evidently this is not what the crowd wants. So this guy ends up going to, to JJ Kale's house and recruiting him to be his guitarist. So he's in the rockets for a while. Uh, that guy ends up leaving. Um, and the rockets uh, transform into this band called the Valentines. And at this time he's Johnny Kale, right? His mm-hmm. name is Johnny Kale. The Valentines end up having a bit of a shakeup, and J.J. Kale ends up being their main vocalist as well as the guitarist. And he's they're mainly doing instrumentals because he's so unsure of his voice at the time. Yeah. But they get they get a, a record deal to do a, do a single, and they it's a it's a Halloween aimed single called Shock Hop with a B side called Sneaky. <laughs> I would to me that sounds different than what we're talking about. <laughs> no, definitely. Well, and that's what he was doing. He was doing that kind of stuff. So that song was a flop. You know, it's um, not like a surf 
song. It did, it did. But uh, the, the single did give him a little bit of exposure, and he ends up coming into the attention of Leon Leon Russell. And that's, we talked about kind of what that impact was. So yeah. um, he ends up moving to L.A. The, the other person I want to talk about, do you guys know who S- Snuff Garrett is? Can't say that I do. I know about Levi Garrett's. But that's not snuff. That's chewing tobacco. Snuff Garrett was a guy who was he was a record guy out in L.A. He got his start actually in Lubbock on a radio station, and then he was he hosted a television show in Wichita Falls, and he ends up getting a job in L.A., being the um, AR promotion manager for Liberty Records. And uh, Liberty Records is, I believe, what first John uh, JJ Kale's After Midnight, I believe, is on Liberty, or at least an yeah, offshoot. That's the of inter- that's the uh, energetic one. Yeah, and yeah. it sounded it sounded a bit like this. And that yeah. makes it much easier to understand where <laughs> Eric Clapton got his yeah his idea yeah absolutely absolutely um, the other the other thing uh, well yeah I think I think JJ Kelly even says that Clapton pretty much mimicked that sound he did he did and uh, um, that's part of the reason JJ uh, Kale did such a different version for in this album yeah and then the, the last thing I kind of want to talk about before we get to the album is while he was working in LA as a production guy and working for Snuff Garrett Stuff Garrett was well actually there's two things I want to talk about Stuff Garrett was trying to get into the next big thing and of course they were they released something in 1967 so i'm going to ask you guys what was big in 1967 sound wise the beatles summer of peppers love. summers of love but what uh, what particular psychedelic psychedelia yeah exactly so <laughs> they end up putting something together with all of these guys from the Tulsa, like the Tulsa Mafia or whatever you want to call them. And they called themselves the Leather Coated Mines because they all love leather jackets. <laughs> and they they recorded an album called Trip Down Sunset Strip. It's 28 minutes long. 32% of it is our songs that J.J. Kell wrote. Yeah. But the other stuff is made up of two bird songs, a Donovan cover, a Yardsbird song, a tune by Paul Revere and the Raiders, and a cover of Puff the Magic Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> can only imagine you, you don't have to only imagine they should have gotten a uh, jerry jeff walker and circus maximus to join them for that one <laughs> That was uh, that was Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> that did not sound much like Puff the Magic Dragon. Well, that's that bombed. Nobody bought <laughs> no that. way! Nobody, no nobody, way! Nobody, nobody bought that album. It went nowhere. Um, it went nowhere. Kind of interesting is back what what Doug was talking about when he played with Delaney, uh, Delaney and Bonnie. When he ends up moving back to Tulsa, you may know this, Doug. But he moves back to Tulsa. He ends up playing with some guys there that end up they open for Delaney and Bonnie. So this band that he helped kind of start ends up headlining this big uh, stadium. 
in Tulsa or whatever, maybe not stadium, but this big place in Tulsa and his band is opening for them. I think that was a bit of a, of a smack smack in the face <laughs> to him. But the, the last thing I want to mention is before he moves to Tulsa, he's, he decides, you know, he's going to leave Liberty or whatever. And, and the last thing he did for them before he moves is he worked on recording blue cheers album. Oh, really? And Blue Cheer, of course, was a band. They were a power trio, I think, um, out of San Francisco, most famously known for their cover of Summertime, Summertime Blues, Blues. Yeah. Which, of course, was uh, we talked about at uh, for when we talked about Black Sabbath, because a lot of people think of that band as being the first real heavy metal band. Yeah. He, he, he says when they brought in their equipment, he couldn't believe he'd never seen Marshall amps before. And they're bringing in all this equipment. <laughs> and, it, and and he could he said that the, the studio was double pane glass and it was shaking. Like he had to turn the monitors off because you could hear it through the glass. <laughs> through the glass. So anyway, like, like I said, he ends up moving back to Tulsa and uh, uh, and that's sort of uh, as a very quick run through his history brings us up to where we are. 51 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, that seems like a lot of time to some of you. <laughs> uh, did we- There's a guy on here by the name of Norbert Putnam, and he is a bass player. And so why are we talking about him? Well, <laughs> he's he, this was kind of early in his career. But he, uh, soon after this, he produced Dan Fogelberg's first album, Home Free, and he kind of became Dan Fogelberg's producer for a while. He played cello and bass on it as well. And he is probably best known for his work with Jimmy Buffett. He has done a lot of, yeah. So he has uh, produced and played on almost every Jimmy Buffett album ever made. So, well, if you do Dan Fogelberg and Jimmy Buffett, I mean, what is there left for you? <laughs> the, the Eagles, the Eagles, yeah. But he plays on two two Am, songs. Ambrosia, Ambrosia, Ambrosia. <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. <clears throat> Let's get back into this record real yep. fast. Yep. <laughs> get that taste get, out of my mouth. Yeah. Let's go to song one, side one. They call me the breeze. They call. That's a good way to start an album right there, I tell you what. Well, you know, one of the things we didn't mention about this this album is most of these songs were actually recorded with a drum machine before they actually had a drummer. A very primitive version of, of the drum machine. And you can actually hear it at the beginning of this this song. You can hear it on a couple of songs. Yeah, you can hear it. Yeah. So, yeah, they, the record company said, no way. You're going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, he didn't have money. To, he didn't have money yeah, to pay a drummer. Have, yeah. So, everybody, this, everybody said they worked on demo wages, which I don't really know what that necessarily is. But he, uh, yeah, so he, had, he couldn't afford a drummer. So, he had a drum machine and the, he gave it to the record company and they said, no dice, guy. You got you to get some real musicians on this. 
you know, I've said this before. I didn't know this album before we did it. I, I laughed when you mentioned Slow Hand, Doug, because I kept listening to this song thinking, what does this remind me of? And then I realized it reminds me of Lay Down Sally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really does. And, and, and then I was like, wait a minute, that's a Clapton song. Of course it sounds like that. <laughs> and, then I, and, then I, and then I did a little bit of reading about that particular album and how much it's sort of a homage in a way. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it just makes, it's per- makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, you know, another song, he has that I think borrows a lot is a song I really like, which is Promises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. really has the same kind of us. It's there's something about the beat that's it's the most steady beat. It's almost like a train. Yeah. It's there is not going to be any variation, ladies and gentlemen. This this groove is on the tracks. Yeah. And we got the cruise control on, and I will be uh, popping in now and then with a couple of boing boings on the guitar and. Uh, <laughs> We're just going to keep rolling. Yeah. That's one of the things I really like about this album is that that momentum, that slow, steady. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, in a couple of parts, and this is on one song where the, uh, the drums are pretty prominent in it. And, and it's got that JJ Kale kind of understated guitar playing behind it and it's just one of the things i think is is done really well on this album but there's i mean there's like no reverb there's no gates or anything on the drums or 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 any of the instruments i mean the instruments sound like they have no effects on them whatsoever even the the vocals sound like they have no effects on them whatsoever and it's just but still it's just got that compelling driving beat to it. It's a it's a it's a very mesmerizing song to listen to. Great way to start the album. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting because it's, it's I don't I don't know how else to say this, but it's laid back and upbeat at the same time. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know how that work. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I think that's, that's so, exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, that's you're, you're right. It, it's also an interesting thing that all of the songs on this album are so dang short. Yeah, they really are. It's kind of I think that's smart because what he does. So there's not a way for him to modulate his music very much. He, yeah, he can't speed up, slow down. He can't do a different guitar tone. He can't necessarily bring in a, a different instrument to do something he without it yeah. coming apart. So he can't if you can't modulate, yeah, yeah, right. If you can't modulate, you better stay short. Yeah. Does that explain why he just sort of? I mean, there's not an ending. The songs just all fade out. Yeah, most of the songs fade well, it's out. It's like a train. They yeah, don't end, yeah. they just go into the distance. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a uh, this is a good song and it's a, mm-hmm. and when I put this album on, I was a little surprised how much I liked it. Yeah. So, I like this particular song. It was a it was a good one. So, okay. So, going I, you know, to- something that's funny about me and JJ Kale is because I got this album at such a young age, I'm one of the few people my age that heard J.J. Kale before he heard Leonard Skinnerd or Oh really? Uh, or, oh yeah, well, I guess yeah, we should Clapton. mention that we should mention that Leonard Skinnerd covered this song and it became kind of a southern anthem. Yeah. Their version of it. On Second um, Helping. Yep. 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 With Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> Turn it up. All right. Moving on to song number two on side one. Call the Doctor. Sin in My mind's fine. Doctor, 
Okay, I am actually going to ask you something because I meant to do that before we started, Doug. Um, and I'm assuming you're going to give me the same answer you gave me when I asked this on the um, Siri Vaughn album. But um, you're a lyrics guy. I don't know if you would say the lyrics on this album are that great. So um, what, what say you about your listening experience with second-rate lyrics? I, I'll say the same thing I said with Stevie Ray. We're in a we're in a genre where you're just trying to get something simple out. Uh, nobody has anticipation for profound lyrics in music like this. In fact, it would be awkward to start hearing, yeah, something uh, profound necessary. or erudite. While yeah. This is, uh, you're in a bar room and it's dark and you're not trying to think, you're just trying to feel. It's a simple analogy taken as far as he can for two minutes and then he moves on. But, yeah. you know, uh, when, when, when he's singing, I'm listening to that bass and that drum mm-hmm. who are filling up all the space until he comes in with his guitar. It's, uh, that's good. really interesting. On this particular song, when the guitar, you've got those horns that are that are in it. I mean, it almost sounds like a. I would almost put this as a Ry Cooter. I could see Ry Cooter doing this. Song. You know, when I was trying to figure out if I had to put someone next to him, who's the closest? That's Ry Cooter. Ry is Cooter the closest be, yeah. guy I can think of. Yeah, it's but it's just got that. Um, those horns come in, and that you can't. At one point, you can't tell where the horns stop and the guitar starts. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. So. This is where we're going to have a disconnect because I find this song immensely boring. Um, I, I Again, when I mentioned that there are things I looked for that got me through it, I, I do like his vocals a lot on this song. Oh, yeah, his and vocals so are I fantastic can, on this. So I can, I can listen to his vocals and the rest of the song sort of fades into the distance, um, even though he's not singing about much. I, well, it yeah, doesn't. This, it doesn't change. I mean, it's the whole. The whole song is just like in a lot of these songs that don't change. Like Doug was talking about earlier, but this song in particular is just almost a dirge, and you know, it's almost like uh, the when they're carrying the casket in New Orleans. To, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, well, and I guess that makes sense considering what he's singing about. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of my least favorite songs. I, I will say that there's not there's nothing on this album that I would necessarily skip. I there's nothing. Yeah, there's, um, there's nothing on this album I skip. But but there are songs that leave me a little colder than other ones, and this is one of the ones that I'm I'm kind of glad when it's over with, just because yeah. we're moving on to something else. Uh, Doug, do you have anything to say before we move on to something else? No, I just uh, for me it's. Like an orgy of minimalism, which sounds contradictory, <laughs> but I, I just love that I'm hearing every single instrument yeah. and nobody is doing anything extra. It's like a union band that's paid by the note. Yeah. And the guys told them, you're only getting so much. Right. Yeah. You were talking about modality I, earlier. There, there's some weird. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, weird, some of the modes uh, yeah. provide unexpected. Um, directions for yeah. them there's supposedly a steel on this song and i guess that's one of the things that troubles me is i you know how i feel about the steel guitar no, you can hear when it. i hear this i can't hear it i can hear it all right 
well, I, again, I don't dislike the song as much as I'm making it sound like I do. I'm just being a little nitpicky, I guess, and critical. But <laughs> anyway, all right. Moving on to song number three on side one, Don't Go to Strangers. If I'm standing in a crowd, call my name, call it loud. Don't go to strangers, woman, call on me. Wave your arm in the air and let me know that you're there. When in doubt. Can't you just see a young Mark Knopfler listening to this song? And, uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Mark Knopfler is the first thing that came to my mind. And, and thinking he, that the... and, and Pick Withers, the the drummer for the uh, Dire Straits at the time, must have just picked, just must have globbed onto this as well because that minimalist. I mean, are there any toms on this album? For, you know, oh, I don't think so. I don't think there's any ride toms or floor toms or anything on this. I hate to keep repeating myself, but there's so much left out, perfectly left out. Mm-hmm. It's I you love- know, it's it's like a backpacker that knows exactly. You said, "Man, you are yeah. you are amazing because you didn't bring one single thing you didn't need." Yeah, I love this song I so much. Too. I it's irresistible. And, it's it is irresistible, and and it's just it's it's like a. It's just like a groove, the whole yeah, thing. It, you is. Know? it is. And his and voice is... It's fan- It's fantastic. It's, it's so um, funny that such a limited voice can yeah. be so, so compelling. Yeah. I, I don't know what you call this, like what kind of music this is. I. It's a little I, bit of a shuffle and yeah. a little bit of uh, something else. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't exactly know what you. I mean, I could if it were if a jazz player were playing it, he would be playing it with a uh, the stick, like yeah. not just down ninety I, degree angle. It's funny how much he reminds me of Miles when Miles is being smoky and blue. Yeah, yeah. It's well, a anyway, great it's song. A, it's it's a great song, and it's a it's short a song. song. It's the shortest it song is. on the album. Oh, this he's a genius. He said, "You're gonna want to hear this again when I'm through." Yeah, I'm not gonna wear <laughs> you out. Yeah. Yep. All right. Moving on to song number four on side one. You young men who are single, remember that. <laughs> you drop that lady off on the date before yeah. she's ready to go home. She'll <laughs> want to go out again. Yeah. It's just a rule of nature. <laughs> All right. Woman I love. Nice segue, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> You're having trouble picking that needle up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that was a. That's probably the funkiest song on the on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could almost see Doctor John or the Meters or somebody mm-hmm. doing that. But again, it is so. Nobody goes wild. No, on it. It's. It's all. Yeah, this is it, man. Yeah, hey, this baby, is what we do. Any... We go, we're not here to play for you. We're just playing. We're just gonna group. And then if you <laughs> saw him live and this first time you ever saw him, and you heard him singing like that, you would think he must be sick because he's, <laughs> he's well, not I, singing very loud. 
Yeah. I was going to say, this is another song I don't particularly like that much. I know that's probably another disconnect between you well, two guys, but, I, you but know, the thing that the thing, just real quick, the thing that I, 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 his vocals don't even grab me on this. It sounds like he's, I, I don't know. It's it, it, this song just doesn't work for me in a lot of ways. It, even the, the vocals don't work and the guitar seems non-existent on it, which is always something I kind of, yeah, the guitars does on. seem not it. You're right about that. I, I think that the, the, I had I, I I am of two minds on this. I sometimes wish I could hear this song fully produced with a you know mixed all to hell with a uh, you know and a somebody belting it out. Yeah. Wilson Pickett, yeah, Wilson Pickett, well, exactly. Big stack. Yeah. I, I, that would be fantastic. Yeah, or so, or all the way back down with just. JJ and his guitar. Yeah. I mean, either way, I'm just like, I'm glad I get to hear it this way. I hope somebody covered it and made it a, a production. It, it is interesting you say that because, um, you know, what Doug mentioned about it just kind of being there and you, you guys both talking about how there's nobody's really going wild um, on it. And it's a song that could lead towards that. It's, it's the only song in the album to me that, that, feels flat it, the song feels flat it did like that doesn't work for me on this particular it song be, I don't it's know the why. only one that's trying to have some energy but with I, those I don't horns. think i think those yeah, horns could have been muted and, and brought down a little bit there's other songs with horns on them that are I know, a little upbeat I, I, I feel like maybe they're not playing nice with the other kids and <laughs> they're from another neighborhood it. and they're they don't know the rules of the game here we yeah. don't do the pop pop yeah, we don't do the punches. Yeah, um, I'm gonna stuck stick a couple of mutes in those uh, trumpets and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, good song. All right, we we're uh, ready to move to the next tune. Yep. The next tune was the was the first single on this album, I believe, uh, Magnolia. Soft down the I love this song. I love the way it's. He, I, mean, I don't know if there's a better way you could do this song either. It's just um, his vocals sound really earnest and yeah, and uh, you know the the arrangement that just the the brushes on the drums just sound and the, his guitar playing is <laughs> remarkable. You know what he said about this song? What? He called it a slow, draggy ass ballad. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't. He didn't like it. Really? He didn't like it. Yeah. I don't know why. I agree with you. I think the guitar on it is spectacular. I think his vo voice is so emotive on it yeah. in a way yeah. that it's really not on any other song. Yeah. Um, you, you, what he does on this song is he sounds like a guy in earnest that wants to sing his song himself to his girl. He knows he doesn't have the voice to sing this song to his girl, yeah. which makes it yeah. more compelling. You're right. And uh, and then when we talk about just putting in the notes you need to on a lead, that's yep. what we're mm -hmm. talking about yep. on he this song. He does it perfectly. Yep. I think the only time I've listened to this song once was when it was on the radio and I had no control <laughs> because 
I will get stuck on this song, yeah. and I cannot stop listening to it. And there is not a thing about the production that I would change. Th- this is what I consider me and my wife's song, even though huh. she does not consider this our song. <laughs> I'm not even sure she knows it's the same song I keep playing. <laughs> but I well, just, I just think it is as yeah. good of a love song as you can have without. Anybody getting sappy? Yeah, really. That, that, that's exactly the right way to put it. I mean, there's just there's nothing necessarily beautiful about it, but there's something well that achingly oh. beautiful. Yeah, no, I think I think the beauty comes from the simplicity in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not again. Here we are. I mean, that's this album. Yeah. And, um, and, but this is the only time we get to do a ballad, and so it's 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 wonderful. Yeah. A draggy ass ballad. A draggy ass ballad. <laughs> it's uh, so this song was actually most famously covered by Poco. I oh, didn't know. Poco yeah, I did know that. Po- yeah, Poco did that. Yeah. Do no, you? Um, I, I I don't know if I well, should. John Mayle did a cover of it that's really popular. Really? I don't know if I should tell you who the song's about, Doug, because that might ruin it for you. So we can skip that. Jane Fonda. No, 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 no. It's about it's about a, a, a girl he was dating, but she's just. Uh, she she had an interesting occupation. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> anyway. She was a woman um, at night. She, yeah. Well, she was. According to Bobby Whitlock, she uh she would come to she would come to uh Tulsa hangout and then she would she would say, Okay, I gotta go to I gotta go to Atlanta and turn some tricks and JJ Kale would be like, Okay. And then she'd come back and they'd hang out and Hope there were prophylactics involved. I hope there was some serious consideration given to protection. <laughs> well, hey, that hey, doesn't hey. ruin it for me because okay. uh, yeah. we, we like not, Lorena. That's not and, what it's about to me. Yeah, yeah we like well, Lorena. Lorena was a fine girl, except mm-hmm. for her job choice. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the last song on side one, Clyde. Loves company. His old dog sings harmony. Tambourine tied to his tail. How fun is that song? This is such a fun song. Uh, it is just a. Um, it's got that hode, and, and it starts off. It, it, you keep thinking it's going to be like some sort of song about Cherokees or something. Yeah, because it's it got that, that kind that, of. Native that, yeah, it's got that yeah. Indian sound, you know, like that. Well, <laughs> Indians didn't play. Everybody thinks they know what Indians like, <laughs> like that stupid cheer they do at a, <laughs> at a Florida State or what? Why do you? <laughs> I mean, what, so, what was that in a, a Ford movie? And everybody, oh yeah, that's yeah, authentic. That's exactly how it sounds. It's like that yeah. guy that wrote the song for the uh, uh, yeah for Chicago, Chicago World's Fair. Nair, 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 nair. Yeah. Oh, that's Arab music. Yeah, so Arab. <laughs> I don't know what the hell is Arab music. Anyway, but yeah, it's a it's a fun song. The bass on it is fantastic. Um, it's uh it's the only song with harmony, I think, on it. Yeah, too, I think you're it? right. And I don't know who's doing the the harmony on it, but it, it's it's some fine. Uh, well, uh, 
That's Tim Drummond on the bass, I, by the way. I feel really bad because this is my least favorite song on the album. Really? It reminds me of when, when you played that Neil Young about the dog in, in the, the dog? trunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of this song when you played that, and I go, oh, God, again. Oh. Um, uh, no, I, I just think song. it's um, entirely inappropriate to go from magnolia to this well it's it's kind of like what bob wills used to do you know he would go from he yeah but he was still even when he's doing a ballad he's still going ah yeah leon (laughs) Um, but this is just (laughs) i i don't care about this song i think i think all the playing is fine and everything yeah but there's, I just, where's the Jews harp and the guy with the, from, like, what's... Somebody's in I keep seeing doing hee-haw that. with the yeah. fence hitting I, someone I, in the butt. Okay, okay. I, I don't I don't disagree that maybe the sequencing is a little odd, but this song is, this song is perfectly fine for an album that has a raccoon on the cover of it and yeah. a dog on the cover of it. I'm sorry. This is a perfect That's song. That's that raccoon. I, isn't that the one from the Avengers? Uh <laughs> Uh, so this song has been Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. This song was uh, was covered twice. I mean, maybe more than that. But Doctor Hook and Medicine Show did a version of it, yeah. and then, of course Waylon covered it in 1980. Mm-hmm. I, I bet if I listened to Waylon doing that, I bet I would like this version better. I'm sure I would. I th- I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> I can't. Um, Waylon sometimes strays, like when he did MacArthur Park. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? With the my cake was in the rain, and I'll never have that recipe again. I'm, Something about yeah. Do you Wayland not should have never friends? say the yeah. Where should never friends? say the word recipe in a song. Let's <laughs> no, just think about moonshine. <laughs> when you when you think of Waylon, you think of a guy who never cooked, <laughs> just ate. Some plate got thrown down in front of him. He ate. All it. right, thank you, darling. You know, <laughs> You know what we get to do for, uh, I think this is the first time in a while we were able to do this. We get to flip her over and yeah. song one on side two is Crazy, Crazy Mama. Mama. But it's also a hit. A hit. hit. 21 or 22. 22. Is that right? I did not know that. Oh, listen to that guitar. <laughs> God, that slide is so great. That slide, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. It's so I cool. swear Clapton's copied that. I know, I know. What's that <laughs> one? That's a yeah. guy named Matt Gaden. What, do you, what can you tell us about him, Jam? Anything? Yeah. I know nothing about him. I know absolutely nothing about him. That is, It's so perfect. It's perfect. It fits just right. It's uh, like the whole song. It's got, it's got that. It's just barely that. using that wah-wah on it. It's just fantastic. It, it almost sounds like a saw. <laughs> yeah. You know where they... <laughs> you know, yeah. So. yeah. This is this kind of an interesting little fact. Uh, just speaks volumes about J.J. Kale's career. This is the only song performed by him that broke the top forty. Is that right? Yep. I, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, that when I think of the top forty, I don't. What what year is it? Seventy one. Seventy one. Yeah. Garbage that was coming out that there's year. There's a lot of garbage. I mean, every year there's garbage. I, I top forty and J.J. Kale. They don't match. No. I mean, Think about well, this song, Midnight on the Oasis. That's top <laughs> so, forty. Yeah, 
So I, I, I'm going to, since you said that, I'd like to tell you what was in the top 10. A couple of songs that were in the top 10 when the I'd song. I'd like to know that. Yeah. Okay. First song, oddly enough, A Horse With No Name by America was number dun, one. Dun, dun, dun. That's called number, the, that's the called drone us. that doesn't yes, end is what that song. No, Number two, which is kind of funny considering what number one was, is Heart of Gold by Neil Young. And the song. reason I say that is good because... background singer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Puppy Love was number six by Donny Osmond. Oh my and God. he destroyed his adulthood with that song. He would, <laughs> you know, Marie could go on, but if you're a if you're a man, you're singing Puppy Love and you're yeah. singing it. Well, it's, it's, hard. Hard. it's hard to say you're a little bit rock and roll when that's the song everybody attributes <laughs> to you, <laughs> right? And then I'm not going to go through all of them, but Mother and Child Reunion was number seven. What a great tune! That is a good song. The uh, chicken, chicken and, and egg. egg omelet. Yep. Yep. That's so, maybe not true, ladies and gentlemen. We've never confirmed that. I think so. This song, if it's not true, it should be. <laughs> this uh, no, I think we did confirm it. I think, I think he it's wrote confirmed. it. Confirmed. Yeah, he wrote it. But it was a, a Chinese dish, I think, at a restaurant he went to, and it um, and it Some made him write. Great tune, but yep. but uh, this is this song has a similar story to ones we've told with other. I can't remember what songs we've talked about, but this was the B side to Magnolia. And some disc jockey in Little Rock flipped it over and liked it, started playing it. Next thing you know, it's moving up the charts to number 22. Yeah, so, I, I love there. the chord progression on this so much. And it's the, the, just the little stop and starts that you're just are so subtle in it as well. It's just amazing. You don't have dips. It's strong song, strong song, strong song. It's, it's not like it's uh, petering out. Yeah. Number two on side two. Is nowhere to run. hard to stay still listening to that song i love that it's a good song very good song it's got that i love that piano part yeah, in it. the piano comes into the foreground like yeah played by a guy named yet. bob wilson that i've never don't know anything about is uh that's a that, is that the slide that's not a there's that's a slide guitar on yeah the song, he's got right? slide on it yeah i think this one's helped by the the, <laughs> the real drummer yeah the, the drummer is really doing a good job on this one uh he's got great I'm a little surprised that there aren't a whole bunch of covers of that. Yeah, there should be. There's a lot yeah, well, of room to do your own thing with a song like uh, that. Yeah, I will say this, though. I think, again, I'm not sure why it works, but his vocals, they're so breezy and kind of nonchalant on a song. Is that well, you know what they call it, him. <laughs> <laughs> the breeze. But I mean, on a song like this, it, there's no reason why it should work, and it works perfectly. Well, he's got one of those chameleon voices that aren't very strong. Like, you know, like Ry Cooter doesn't have the greatest voice in the world, but he's got an ability to sound like so... His, his, you can never tell when Ry Cooter's actually singing. And I, I get that feeling with J.J. Kale, especially on this song. Well, it's also, I, I think, 
when you have a mature a mature artist like this, yeah, you've got some self awareness, and he knows what his voice is for. He's not still trying to seek out his sound and all that kind of stuff, right? So he knows how to plug in correctly. Yeah. The next song we're going to talk about, I think, is one people have heard before in one way this or another. This is the next song. You know, that's Blondie. Um, <laughs> uh, this is Did this he is write a Blondie hit. <laughs> <laughs> this is after mid after midnight. Again, suspicion. Give an exhibition. Find out what it is all about. After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang out. You know, the bass part on this is is phenomenal, and it is played by <laughs> Norbert Putnam, which is like I don't associate Norbert Putnam and funk at all, but this is. Uh, you know, I guess if you if you're familiar with this song, you keep wanting to hear that. Let it all hang out. All oh, those those backup. I don't. I don't want to hear that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. This is, I heard this, this one first. So yeah, this is the first version of After Midnight I've ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the bill payer. Yeah, he he talks yeah. about that. You know, every now and then. Uh, Eric Clapton puts out another compilation. I <laughs> get another big check. Well, yeah, Cla- Clapton. You know, Clapton song went. To, it was a hit, smash hit. It yeah, all it went huge. up to number eighteen. Yeah. Um, and and as I mentioned earlier, it was really the reason why he did this. The odd thing is, is JJ Kale says that um, when he was convinced to put this on the album by Denny Cordell, who was running Shelter at the time, Shelter Records at the time, that he had he had already re- finished the album according to J.J. Kale. Yeah. And this was this was an afterthought to put this on there. I don't know if that's true that or not. That happens all the time yeah, when, when we do these records. We yeah. had one, what was it? Oh, You're No Good Yeah, with <laughs> Linda. Oh, it's an afterthought. But, but the, you, know, you know, you guys know how Clapton heard this, right? I, I bet when you say it, I'm going okay, to remember. Yeah, I'm going to remember. Well, he was, uh, he was touring with Delaney and Bonnie, and they go into the studio um, in, uh, I think they were in, in, someplace in Europe and they I guess probably be back in the UK and they were going to start working on his debut. And uh, Delaney Bramlett had a copy of the JJ Kale song. Cause JJ Kale, evidently when he recorded the single in the mid sixties, he just gave them out to That's everybody right. he knew. And so he played it for, he played it for Clapton and Clapton. It was, it, it, he's Clapton says there was no doubt I was going to do this song. Yeah. So. I heard that part that he heard it and just immediately said i gotta do this song. and that was a very different version than this yeah no it was it was based on that version we played earlier i don't remember if i said this earlier so if i did you can cut it out jam mm-hmm. but uh, the funny thing is is jj kale said he didn't know clapton had recorded until he heard it on the radio yeah and then and then checks started coming in he's yeah. like hey this isn't too bad <laughs> <laughs> he said this is this is i never had to worry about money again yeah uh, life was easy after this and uh, you know when you get a song like that you get a new guitar. <laughs> so you guys, uh, you guys are the big Clapton fans on this podcast. When he re-recorded this for that Michelob commercial, did, yeah. did, did he change it up much? Oh yeah. Change it up a bunch. Okay. Put a goofy ass synthesizer in it. And it, uh, I, I don't remember that commercial. I do. I, just, yeah. I do remember Michelob, but you can't find it, Michelob anymore. It's all Michelob light. Right? You can't. Uh, I will say when when we were playing that clip and he gets to the point we're gonna let it all hang out out of any version of the song it really does sound like he's letting something hang out I don't know what it is but <laughs> well, I, it's just that's so, what I think is funny about the version on this album is 
here's this guy that sounds like he's talking barely awake. And he's he's talking about how he's going to go hog wild yeah. with tambourines and everything. And he said, man, you sound like you're barely awake. <laughs> I'm dreaming. We're gonna let I'm it talking in my dream. I'm, I'm talking in my sleep. Oh, yeah. After yeah. midnight, I'm just going to be so <laughs> crazy, people. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> All right. All right. Everybody go to sleep. It sounds. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I want to hear him do 1999. <laughs> I was dreaming when I wrote this. <laughs> it's like, we're going to party. I'm going to listen to my body tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Kale. You're barely awake. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Moving on to number four on side two. We get a bit of a murder song, River Runs Deep. And the water's cold as River runs deep and the water's cold as unlike knoxville girl he seems to i'm not justifying murder but he said at least has a reason for for killing a woman and knoxville girl I'm, that guy just bashes her over the head for no reason i don't know I, I every time i hear this song i can't not think of down by the waterline on the really? first iron street so i just pulled that out <laughs> because i was thinking of water of love yeah deep in the grip Oh yeah! Wow. No, uh, which is right after down (laughs) to the waterline. Um, Yeah, the uh, the the drums on it that are actually those are syndrome or uh, a a drum machine, which is odd. You know the 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 difference between Clapton and and Dire Straits in terms of their JJ Kale's influence on them is I I don't know how many people listen to Dire Straits and went oh I've got to go seek out JJ Kale I, I know a lot of people listened to Eric Clapton and went out and saw, saw yeah out JJ yeah Kale, so. well Eric Clapton can't shut up about him and yeah. they made an album together I don't think I've ever heard Knopfler talk about him I don't think I have either. Mark Knopfler talked about him. In fact, he's on that 2014 tribute album, uh, J.J. Kale tribute album. (laughs) Slap me up with a biscuit. (laughs) But it's a good song. Very good song. It is a good song, but it's it's always, like I said, I don't know why. It's a folk song, almost. It's a a delivery vehicle for his cool guitar. Yep. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, I love his guitar on that. Yep. Good stuff. I wish I'd heard this before I'd heard Dire Straits. (laughs) (laughs) I just realized something. You, when I heard Dire Straits' first album, I begged my mom to take me to Selling Warehouse because I, I think this album probably primed me for that. I bet it did. Yeah, and I never thought of that before. Yeah, and subcon, and it was in deep in your subconscious, right? Yeah, like a like a river running deep. Yep. That's what we do here, ladies and gentlemen. We tie it all back together for you. (laughs) Well, yeah. uh, And and we're we're, bringing it back. We're going to bring it back. (laughs) Bring it back. Number five on side two. Why got caught with too much soul? Go. 
So this is about him uh, trying to smuggle those Chinese finger traps. Uh, oh, really? In Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's imaginative. <yeah. laughs> no, it's a little you, thing where you catch the ball inside yeah. the cup. <laughs> do, you, do you guys know what is odd about this song that we've talked about with a few, couple of, maybe two other songs before, one of them on the Boston album? Mm, no. It's a fade-in. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah it, yeah, it is a fade-in. You're right. The, the so. most underused... Uh, effect in music, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Lots yeah. of fade outs, but not a lot of fade ins. Well, especially on this album. And it's also the song that was covered by Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Did they really? I, I can't I'm imagine. a horrible time imagining that. Yeah, where's the What was their first album come called? In? Kansas? Kansas. Yeah. I need, yeah. I'm going to listen to that just to find it. <laughs> it's, a prog, it's a prog version of it, so enjoy. <laughs> it's probably a lot, it's got lots of organ and yeah. It's everything. This album, I mean, this song is, uh, I, I, I like it a lot. I love those those horns on it. Again, it's one of those things like you could overproduce the hell out of this. And it, it might be kind of interesting to hear somebody like, I can almost see Southside Johnny covering this song. You know? I, I have a weird relationship with this song. It's the only song on the album where I, it depends on my mood, how I feel about it. There are yeah. times when I'm listening to it and I'm really into it. And then there are times when I just don't want to hear it. I, yeah. It's weird. Um, yeah. It makes me I don't know why that is. It makes me want to wear sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And I'm going to say one other thing. It's weird. I think I keep thinking this is the last song in the album. And Oh, it, no. And then, yeah. Then you're surprised. Boy, am I glad surprised. it's not that. I'm glad it's not the last song in the album. Put it well, I way. like though because it's because it fade ends and and it fades Ooh. out. Okay, guys. Well, that brings us to the last song on side two and the last song on the album, "Crying Eyes." Crying eyes, fine song. Nice way to end the album. I, I really like that song. You can hear those uh, um, the drum machine in there, that primitive drum machine. It sounds like a Lowry organ. <laughs> it, I, I like that song a lot, and I agree with you. It's a really, I think, a perfect way to end the album. But it, it's an it's odd, it's an odd song. It is. It's very not JJ Kale. It's very not JJ Kale, right? Um, I mean, well, it's it's it's, that... it's it's uh, continuous rhythm and it's low key is is JJ Kale, but it there's not very much blues in it. No. And it's got that weird, biz- bizarre piano riff. Kind yeah, of yep. yeah, which it. I like. I love that piano riff. I do too. But it's it's just like I said, it's odd. It's a weird. It's um, well, it, it's like it, everybody's in the everybody's out in the river, and there's this snake going through. <laughs> everybody's having a beer, sitting in the river, and here comes this real colorful snake right through the middle of everybody. <laughs> you know, what's that? Where'd that come from? <laughs> I didn't know they had those here. That's what the piano sounds like. To me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great. It's a good song though. I know, and it's it's a and the other thing about it, kind of going off of what Doug said, the, the it seems to me like it's going to go a different place when it gets to the chorus. Mm-hmm. 
And then they, he mm-hmm. throws that, uh, I guess it's a seven in there. It goes from the one to the seven. Yeah, it's just not something you were expecting here. It's like, to hear. hey, man, this baby has a, this, I thought it was a four cylinder, but has a, I think it has eight cylinders. Yeah, yeah look, look at it. Oh, no, it's four. It's four. <laughs> the reason why I think it's a, a great way to end is it just sort of eases you out of the album. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you know, way to put it. since you're so wound up tight after listening to this, <laughs> I think next week we'll be on the opposite uh, extreme of the kinetic universe. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. All right, anything else we want to say about Crying Eyes? I feel like listening to that album right now. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the point in the evening when we will, of course, rate the album. And as always, uh, we have two ratings. For those of you who are new to the podcast, we have a rating that is a our critical rating, what we think of the album in terms of its, its ability to withstand uh, sort of critique, if you will, on a very academic level. And then the other rating is our rating of whether we'd listen to it again, whether we like it. And obviously we feel like they're, they can be dissimilar. We can think it's a great critical album and not love it or love it and understand why the critics didn't. So there we go. Uh, I will go to Jam since you didn't pick this album. We'll start with you first. Okay. That sounds about right. Um, and I'm going to go with my critics rating first. I'm going to give it a four or five as a critic. I think this album came out of nowhere. I think that it's easy to not think that it, it didn't come out of nowhere, but because we've everything that came after it, it influenced so many people. It, it's just one of those where, well, yeah, after midnight, sure. That's a great song. And it, but I think that it, it's just a very laid back album. And this, you just could see what happened to a lot of these songs after this album was released, how different these songs were recorded. So these songs just kind of can take a life of their own, which I think is a really good, a sign of a really good uh, songwriter. I really like the way he, he delivers them. And the, uh, the songwriting is excellent. And the guitar playing is, is in my mind, flawless. There is not a wasted lick on this album. That kind of brings me into my personal rating. Again, I absolutely love the guitar playing on this i'm gonna give it a 4-0 with a caveat i really do think this was really the most that i'd listened to it um i've been aware of the album for a, a while but uh this is the first time i ever just had to you know listen to it um day in and day out and every time i was finding something different about it that i liked so again that's the mark of a good album and i think that i would over further listens, I'm going to find more stuff to appreciate about it. Definitely an album that I'm going to be listening to again. So I give it again, it's a four O for me. Okay. Thanks, Jan. I'm, uh, I'm going to go next just because Doug picked this album and that's what we do. And I think I'll start with my critics rating first. I'm going to take a little different tack than Jam did. He, he, you talked about how the songs hold up because other people can do what they need to. I mean, that this is, we talked about this a lot tonight. There's room in them to do other right. things with yeah. it. And that's the sign of a good songwriter. I think because of what this guy did to rock. And what I mean by that is that these, you know, it was, he was able to get musicians, very, very talented, very expertise musicians to step back and say, I don't need to go crazy in order to express myself musically. Hmm. The influence he's had on musicians since this album was released is, we've talked about it, it's huge. Yeah, he's a musician's musician. 
and uh, and I think that's really important. I I agree. The songwriting on it's great. I um, I'm going to give it a four two. I think influentially, it's it's probably maybe higher than that. But critically, I'm going to give it a four two. My personal rating, I was kind of surprised how much I liked this album. I, I don't know if you guys were surprised how much I liked it, but I think Doug actually apologized when he picked it first. <laughs> And I don't think you needed to. I mean, I don't know how often I'll pull this out and listen to it, but I'm really happy that I did. It was somebody I knew no nothing about and probably would have turned my nose up if I had known just that, oh, this is a guy who, you know, clapped and copied or not copied, but pretty close. And I would have, you know, I would have, uh, I probably would have turned my nose up. So I'm glad I was, quote unquote, forced to listen to this. Again, I'm not sure how often I'll listen to it, pull it out and listen to it, but I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it a 3.8 for my personal rating. All right, Doug, what say you? Well, I'm going to do my personal one first. Uh, I have zero objectivity in this. This goes back to one of my earliest albums. And I have loved this album for a very long time. You know, and I haven't... There's a lot of albums that I was into early in life that I came away from some of them i came back to but my uh, enjoyment of this album has been consistent for 40 years or something like that so i'm gonna do four nine as far as a critic this this album doesn't do very well with critics and i don't understand that at all usually it's somewhere in the three and a half but for me i'm, I'm gonna give it a uh, four or five on a critical level, somewhere in there. On a critical level, I don't care what anybody else thinks on this album. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if you were going to tell someone, all right, tell me the album that does this better. I don't think they can say this album does this better. I don't. I, I have a hard time of thinking who even comes close to doing what he's doing on this record. He has other albums that were more highly uh, reviewed, and I don't understand why, but I will listen to this album again tomorrow, I'm pretty sure. So, <laughs> really enjoyed having that. And yeah. thank you, Uncle Mark, for giving that to me on whatever birthday that was. It was one of my early ones. Well, since uh, so Stug mentioned that there's nobody that really does what this guy did on this album as well as he did, uh, our recommendation will not be another musician, but I would like to give a shout out as I did earlier. And for anybody who's, who's into JJ Kale or anybody who wants to know more about him, there's a fantastic Facebook page called JJ Kale deep dive. And this guy has done so much research. I mean, I don't know if this guy works, the amount of research <laughs> he does, but uh, it's, it's really, really impressive. So I would recommend it. It's a Facebook page. Uh, just go on there and you can just you can go down tons of rabbit holes. So um, we'll obviously have a link to it on our website. But that's, uh, that's my recommendation. Well, thank you very much, Tony, for that recommendation. And that brings us to the end of another episode of This is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. And if you like this episode and uh, you're new to This is Vinyl Tap, uh, please visit the podcasting platform where you downloaded us and please leave us a review or give us a few stars. Let us know how we're doing, what you like, what you don't like. We're always looking for uh, ways to improve the show. And if you're inclined, if you know people who like the long player format, please tell them about us. We're always looking for a wider audience as well. You can also leave us a message on our Twitter account at Tapping Vinyl, 
or you can visit our Facebook page. Uh, you can find ways to uh, leave us reviews there as well. But as always, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our webpage at tappingvinyl.com. You'll find links to past episodes, and you'll find all sorts of stuff uh, there, extra stuff about all the artists that we've talked about on in each podcast. Cool videos. And cool videos, uh, cool pictures. Um, so be sure and go up there if you want to uh, find out more about uh, the artists we've been talking about Um on these podcasts and you can also leave us a review there as well next week we'll be looking at a album by one of the bands from the late 70s to come out of england kind of during the post or during the punk era but kind of a post-punk band the jam and their album all mod cons Our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And remember, after midnight, we let it all hang out. And it ain't pretty. (laughs) (laughs) And we get kicked off Facebook. (laughs) 